Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Welcome to Montana's Peer Network Recovery Talks podcast. I'm Jim Haney. And I'm Leah Wetzel. Today we have two very special guests with us. Ladies, would you uh, introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Beth Ayers. I am a Montana parent partner at the Billings Children's Clinic, doing family peer support work there. I am also a member of the MPN Board of Directors. And I have two children under the age of 23 and have experience raising a child with a behavioral health diagnosis and navigating the system. That Great, great. Welcome, Beth. I'm Andy Daniel. I'm the technology coordinator for MPN. I also have lived experience uh, raising children with behavioral health disorders. My children are between the ages of 17 and 24 right now, and all of them have had some sort of behavioral health uh, struggles throughout their lives. Welcome, Andy, and thank you to both of you for taking the time to join Leah and I today. It's been an interesting few weeks for Leah and I. Before we kind of get into the main topic, we haven't recorded a podcast, you and I, Leah, in in quite a while. Yeah, it's been a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. We were both kind of under the weather. I think I was one week and you were kind of the next week. And yeah. Yeah, it was awful stuff. So to our listeners, make sure you keep those immune systems up and lots of elderberry and vitamin C and zinc. It was one thing I do have to say is it was my first time as well as yours too, Jim, right? For catching COVID. It was nice to get a phone call from Jim last week, checking in on me and knowing we may be miles and miles away from each other, but we're going through the fight together so yeah yeah we're both a little raspy and nasally today but (laughs) we are we are I got I got my hot tea here I got some uh throat coat going on it's my second cup trying to clear clear my throat before the podcast um it's not working very well I just woke up today and uh I don't know today's day I think I'm on 13 day 13 now so yeah it's been a rough kind of couple of weeks but sure has feel a little bit better every day a little bit a little bit better but it's good to be here with you Leah and we have a good topic I'm excited to to hear from our guests but also Leah I think you have some experience in this area too yes I too am very excited for this podcast today and I'm very excited to have Beth on the MPN team as well. I was privileged to be able to meet Beth at our strategic planning about a month ago. 
and hearing hearing her passion behind her and Andy's passion behind this family peer support uh, is really near and dear to my heart as well because I too have two children with behavioral health disorders and I hate labels but you know going through some things and and definitely it's a hot topic to to know how to navigate through our system um, when mm-hmm. we have these issues especially as single single parents yeah. so let's start off with you know letting our our listeners know exactly what it is that we're talking about this topic so Beth what exactly is family peer support so family peer support is a family member with lived experience raising a child with a behavioral health challenge who then goes and helps other families who are currently raising children with behavioral health challenges. We are there to provide support emotionally, to help navigate the mental health provider resources system, and to just let them know that there is hope and that they are doing the best that they can. And so, and so Beth or, or Andy, you know, either one of you. So help me understand who qualifies to do this type of work. So a parent or a caregiver who has raised a child with a behavioral health challenge is qualified to help other families who are currently raising children. And that's kind of the key is what I'm hearing you say. It's really, that's the key to it. That's the peer part. Yes, correct. Yes. The peer part is that I personally have lived experience raising a child with a behavioral health diagnosis. I personally don't have to have had a behavioral health diagnosis or challenge or be familiar with the system. Um, just that I have a child who is currently being served in that children's health system. And the, and the family peer supporter supports the family, the other parents, the other caregivers. We're not talking about supporting the child. Correct. We support the families in obtaining resources for their children, services for their children, um, helping them providing them healing opportunities for their family, their home. But yes, we interact with the, the family. So Andy, how would this have helped you? So I know your, your kids are a little bit older. How would this have helped you, do you think, if you had had a family peer supporter? So the major stuff happened uh, to my family when my oldest was 17. And I had worked in the behavioral health system, even in the children's behavioral health system prior to what was going on with her. And I mean, my kids had always had some struggles, some anxiety. My oldest actually at six years old uh, was already talking about suicide. And so I, I started doing the things that I thought I knew how to do, right? Got my six-year-old into uh, individual therapy and, you know, tried to do the things that I thought were, you know, the right things to do. And when she was 17, 
she had a pretty significant suicide attempt, was hospitalized in ICU for several days, and then held at the local hospital until a bed opened up at the children's hospital. That's always a tough thing to do. And then she spent a week in acute care at, uh, at a children's psychiatric hospital. So even knowing the system from the outside wasn't really helpful to me when I got inside of it. The, your emotions are so raw at that point when you're, when you've gone through uh, something traumatic like that, it, it's hard to focus. It's hard to really pay attention uh, to what the professionals are saying. And I didn't know where things went from there, right? Like I, I had my own behavioral health struggles. I had my own suicide attempt, but it's just, it's just not the same as having your kid go through that stuff. And so what would have been helpful for me is to have a parent or a caregiver who had gone through the same thing, who had navigated the system and had those feelings. You have those feelings of what did I do wrong? And I'm a bad mom and I don't know where to go from here. And, and having somebody with me to, to say, we made it through, you can make it through, you know, let me help you figure out the system. And like one of, um, something that hit me actually made a note when Leah said labels, I, I, I never wanted to label my kids either and when i worked in children's mental health that was a thing when when do you put that label on a kid right when they're nine do you put a label on them and unfortunately you have to in order to get the services and and then your kid is attached to that label mm -hmm. forever i mean there, there's really no getting out of that and so you're sort of forced into that into making that decision to attach that to them. And the younger they are, the harder that is. Thank you for that, Andy. Beth, same question to you. If you, if you had had a family peer supporter, how do you think that would have benefited you? Having somebody who has walked through it, who knows what questions to even ask, who know what even services are available would have been really helpful. You kind of feel like you're on this path by yourself that nobody's gone down trying to figure it all out. And at the same time, keep your child healthy and alive and functioning and then keeping your household functioning. It's just a lot. And like Andy said, when there are, when it is your child and you are emotionally attached to them, it's a whole different ball game. Our daughter went into the emergency room at age 13 and then into acute care at a psychiatric center. And that was the beginning. And I was very unfamiliar with the process how things worked, what was going to happen. Fortunately, we did have a counselor with us. And had it not been for him, I probably would have not even taken my daughter to the emergency room mm. because I didn't understand what behavioral health and mental health challenges could really could lead to. Mm -hmm. 
I was not raised putting mental health and behavioral health on the same level as physical health. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to cause a problem by recognizing the problem. Mm. And if I had not had somebody there holding my hand saying, no, this is appropriate treatment. This is good for her. It needs to get addressed. I probably wouldn't have. And I just remember looking at him constantly through the whole emergency room visit, like just not knowing how to answer questions, not knowing what I should consent to, not knowing any of that. And I just remember looking at him constantly, asking him if I was doing the right thing. When it's your child, mm-hmm. it is perceived sometimes that it is a parenting problem, parenting issue. And sure. um, you're just trying to do the right thing so that your child ends up okay. And with an illness, there isn't necessarily a right thing. So having a partner there with me or a family peer supporter there with me would have given me inside knowledge that I didn't have. It would have given me confidence to take care of my child's health. And it would have given my, it would have given me emotional support that it wasn't my fault and that we were medically taking care of our child the best we could. I want to jump in on the it's perceived as a parenting issue thing real quick because what I experienced and what I've seen with other families is I there is a lot of well there's self-blame but then but then there are professionals who make you feel that way right that that if you had just done something different, your kid wouldn't be here. I ended up with child protective services involved, which then adds a whole different layer, right? So I'm trying to deal with my kid is in a psychiatric center. Now you think that I haven't cared for my child appropriately, and now you need to investigate me um, under child protective services. How, how does somebody function in a, a week where all of that happens at the same time? And then I'm emotional. And so we go into these meetings and, and my ex-husband and I had been divorced for 11 years. We didn't get along. And they would the professional would be in the room with the two of us. And that was it. It was just the three of us in that room. And my ex-husband and I don't agree on what we should be doing. And it just, so then I come off, I came off like unstable. I mean, I know I did. I know I came off unstable because my emotions were just too Mm -hmm. raw at Mm -hmm. that point. I'd also like to jump in really quickly and talk about that emotional support part piece, I had a great supportive family, friends, church that had no clue how to help me or support me in a mental health crisis with my child. Um, A very dear, well-meaning friend once asked if I had put her in any activities as a child, as if having activities and socialization would have helped this illness. They just don't know. They don't know how to help and they don't know how to just, I guess, sit with you and walk beside you. 
and a family peer supporter does. Leah, what are your thoughts with this? Because you also have experience as a parent. What are your thoughts with any of this? You know, if you had a, if, if there was a family peer supporter available or, or even just, you know, this last part, Beth and Andy are touching on, which is the system and sort of blaming the parent. And did you experience that? Definitely. I seen a, right when I was regaining my, those things myself, but um, seeing the systemic breakdown within what our youth go through, you know, getting calls of threats that they're going to kick my, my daughter out or, you know, my, my stepfather, he's been a teacher and a coach within the school district here uh, for 50 years. He passed away during COVID. Um, but when I got my kids back, which I've had them back um, a little over four years now, when I got them back, I wanted to do everything by myself. I, I wanted to navigate it through by myself. And so I started reaching out the way I needed support. But then I kind of got lost in that because I was listening to the opinions of, of practitioners or the opinions of, you know, her support team. And um, I finally asked my stepdad to join in on 504 meetings because uh, we got a 504 in place for her. And their whole, they did a 180, the way they treated us, just because of who my stepdad was. And I thought to myself, what about all those other single parents out there that don't have us, don't, don't have a stepdad connected to this uh, school district. And when he passed away, we just went deeper and deeper into the, seeing these breakdowns and if it wasn't for um, my job at MPN and having Jim pretty much be my family peer supporter and remind me of what it took for me to be where I'm at today. He's like, okay, medications and doctors. He's like, well, where's the peer support in this for her? And I'm grateful my daughter actually found a peer support group on her own. Um, but there is so much judgment on a child that has, you know, she's going through trying to find the right dose, trying to find the right medication, trying to find what support helps her. And through that, she's missed a lot of school and there's a lot of judgment due to that. And so I've had CPS at my door. I've had, you know, police at my door. I've had, and it's, it's sad because the first thing that comes to mind for me is why isn't the school district more trauma-informed? And a lot of times there's there's excuses. Well, that's not their that's not that's not their role. Yes, it is their role. Those, you know, they're calling me different different faculty calling me during the day asking me these if if a whole building of adults doesn't know what's going on with my kid how, how do you think a single mom that works how do you think I know you know because right. her her go-to was always running away mm -hmm. 
you know, because her anxiety would get to her and she she would leave. But right. yeah, it's if there was family peer support, when I heard about this, like I got emotional. I think we all got emotional when Beth was speaking on it. And and I really was able to even look at Andy in a different lens through too, you know, that sisterhood of being single parents and me too, my ex and I, we don't always see eye to eye and, and he doesn't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's another whole other area having to deal with the court system with, with, um, with that. But yeah, um, it, it really does hit home. Definitely. Beth, what, what, what type of supports does the children's system currently offer the family? So in other words, when you brought your daughter in, you explained the situation, you went to the emergency room, you have this counselor here, but the counselor wasn't provided by the emergency room, right? So, so what does the system currently provide to the family in that type of situation? In my experience, the system doesn't provide anything for the family. Um, you talk about your child's treatment, they provide care for your child but nothing really to support the family. There are organizations out there that will have uh, counselors coming into the home and doing some sort of family counseling homework. Um, there are family counselors, but the focus is always in any of these systems, the child, what do we do for the child? There's really no support for the family. I um, was able to find a support group through NAMI here um, in Billings of other family members who had gone through the same things. And that was where I found that support, that education. However, uh, I did not hear about that support group the first time we went through the hospital. I heard about it the second time. I always felt like I was saying, if I had known then what I know now, it would be totally different. And that I think is the key to family peer support is that we have been there and we do, and we can help those families know what they don't know mm -hmm. and help that you know learning curve. The other thing I want to address is I, as a, as a family member, I assume that everybody had the best interest of my child. And even though I do believe that as individuals, professionals, teachers, people do have the best interest, they oftentimes work in an environment that does not allow them to have the best interest of the child, mm -hmm. the mental health systems, the school systems, the behavioral health systems, I found do not have strictly the child's best interest at mind, there are other factors that come into play. Mm -hmm. And so as a parent, when you go in there, assuming that what a professional says or what the school su suggests for help is in the child's best interest, you trust these people and these providers and clinics and systems. And that just isn't always the case. 
And so having that advocacy lens, having somebody with you who understands the systems, who understands what is in your child's best interest or the things you can request or ask for is really helpful. I was my child's only advocate. And there are a lot of families that don't have that, uh, that ability to mm -hmm. be their child advocate. And mm -hmm. so to have a family peer supporter there to help with that is, is very crucial. You, you think it's, it's the, is what I, I'm just going to take a guess here. Money is usually the number one obstacle when it comes to treatment. Is that, is that true? Is that? Yes, I would say money, insurance, right. internal support, workforce. The amount of time. Yeah. 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 What are you saying, Andy? Well, when you're, when you're talking about school systems, the amount of resources your child needs, the amount of one-on-one -on -one attention your child might need, schools aren't always equipped to provide that. I, <laughs> my son who's 17, I started asking the school for help when he was in the sixth grade and he was starting to struggle because it already been through this, right? Like I, mm -hmm. this was not new to me. And the way that behavioral health is embedded in the school system, it's really hard to get some significant services. School counselors are mm -hmm. not equipped right. most of the time to handle some, you know, serious behavioral health issues. And the CSCT program does exist. Well, did, I don't know where that stands right now, but it did exist, but the parameters to get involved in that system, my kids never qualified for it. You have to be on Medicaid. You have to have an SED, a serious emotional disturbance diagnosis, right? And so you, all of those hoops make it really hard for a kid to get services within their school, which would be the best place to start. That's the place they spend the most, most of their time during the day is at school, right? And I, I know like where Beth lives, there's more resources. Where I live, there's not, right? So I, they said earlier, you know, the steps that happened with my daughter, there is no inpatient youth psychiatric services in my community. Right. So she got held in the regular, you know, in the adult behavioral health wing of the hospital until uh, something opened up 300 miles away from me and then i i was lucky enough to work in an organization that allowed me to be gone and to be with her as much as i needed to be but that is not the norm i, I that i i think that is very very rare that that parents work in an environment that is 
that would allow you to do that. And so then your kid is 300 miles away and you're trying to work or take care of your other kids, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever. And, and you can't go, you can't visit them. You can't go to, you know, family group meetings, you know, that kind of stuff. And so there's, there have to be parents out there that are experiencing the same thing. When you look at services in Montana, right, they're all focused in a few places. So there are way more parents who are in the rural areas that are trying to right. navigate this system. And so having somebody in your own community who, you know, who has helped, who, who knows how that system works and, and, and that I think is, is invaluable because a parent who's going through things in Billings is not the same as a parent who's going through things in sure, sure, Chinook, right? Like it's sure. just not, it's just not the same. You know, just as I'm sitting here listening to the three of you, I think Andy, you said in the beginning, this piece about the, the emotional piece and being blamed as a parent, there's, you know, there's the self stigma, but then there's the stigma that's kind of coming from the system towards you. But it's interesting in listening to the three of you, you, you sort of, I heard, I heard Andy do it and Leah slipped into advocacy for your child, right? And I just, I want to illustrate that because I think as I understand family peer support, I think this is a key piece that the peer supporter would help the parent sort of navigate that line. There is a time to advocate for your child, but even just as we're sitting here and you're all having this emotional response to the things that you experienced, you're slipping from support for you as a parent into advocating for your child. And yeah, it would be really interesting to see, you know, into the future, <laughs> five years from now, when we have family peer supporters all over the place, how the system will have to evolve. Because if you have better supported family members, they're healthier. And then the advocacy that they're doing can be more effective because you said it, Andy, right? Like, you, you know, you were <laughs> unstable, I think is the word you use to describe yourself in these meetings. But if you had somebody helping you navigate that piece, now your advocacy for your child tremendously increases, increases, right? Like, yeah, if I had felt supported yes. my own self, I would have been better equipped to, right. yeah, to advocate for my kid to know what the options mm -hmm. were for my kid because back to the rural thing right i got one psychologist who sees her in the er and says this is what you have to do and i'm like but i don't i don't want to i don't want to mm -hmm. do that right well you have to do this or right. we're taking your kid away like i and if I had somebody with me to say, here are your rights as a parent. I mean, that, that's part of it, right? Here are your rights as a parent. Here is how I can help you understand the system so that you are better equipped to do what your kid needs yeah. 
to get yeah, healthy. That's what I'm hearing. That's exactly what I'm hearing just in listening to the three of you. That's where I'm sort of going with it, knowing, you know, I, I'm not a parent, so I don't know about that emotional part of that piece. But as a person who was a peer supporter for a long time, as a person in recovery, yeah, I mean, having that support and then understanding the rules and how the system works and is a huge piece of it all, right? I, I could relate to what Beth had said, the thing about, uh, you know, with her daughter and not knowing and you're, you're there and then, right. And the counselors then telling you, and, you know, I mean, I can remember being discharged the first time my own hospitalization and they literally gave me a brochure and sent me home. And I, and I was like, like a brochure, like that's, that's what I, that's it. Like we have this expectation that the system will help to support us, educate us, <clears throat> give us all this stuff, right? So I can't imagine with your child. Similar to that, while my children, my, while my child was in inpatient, I was told you need to make an appointment with a counselor. You need to make an appointment with a med manager. You need to, you know, and so it was while your kids in this facility, you need to figure out how to get community services because we're not sending her home with you until you have those services in place. But there was nobody to say, here are some options for services. Here are some counselors who specialize in what your kid is going through. You know, that kind of stuff. It was, you need to do it. And if you don't do it, we're not letting your kid leave or we're gonna take your kid into foster care. I mean, it was just, it was like, how, how do you, how are you equipped to mm -hmm. do that when you're focused on, my kid almost mm -hmm. died. I would completely agree with you, Andy. I think that one of the keys to family peer support is helping families navigate those transitions, particularly like you talked about, Jim. Oftentimes, yeah, you're handed your child and you're walked out the door and that's it. There's no, you know, stair step. There's no continuing support. And so I think a family peer supporter in those uh, situations can help the transition to the community services. They can help um, keep that family supported no matter what facility the child's in or what kind of treatment the child is has. That continuum of care is very important and is really not, like you said, Andy, helped within the behavioral health system. Beth, earlier you, you talked a little bit about the difference between behavioral health and physical health. If my kid had been in a major car accident and had been hospitalized for a long period of time, when we left the hospital, somebody would have made physical therapy appointments right. for my kid, would have made sure that she had a specialist right. to deal with whatever injury she had, whatever medication she had. They would not have expected me to do all of that on my own. Correct. But for behavioral health, they do. That, that, that's correct. And I, 
I can say that because as a person who went through the system, that is absolutely true. And very early on in my recovery, I, I sort of adopted this. It helped me sort of change perspective. Like I need to look at this like I have cancer, right? I have this mental health diagnosis, but I need to look at this like I have cancer. What are the things I would do if I had cancer? Because the behavioral health system, even as an adult, does the same thing. I mean, they, right? I mean, you're, you walk out the door, you got a brochure in your hand and you're just like, whoa, like that is so inadequate. It's not even, it's almost useless. I mean, it's so. In, inhumane. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, that's a, it's a great example. You know, you said if you car accident and the physical therapy and the doctor would, they would call, make the appointments and you'd start going and then you'd show up and they'd be like, oh, how are you doing? You know, and they're they're They would be very empathetic and caring and, you know, supportive and yeah, we'll get you through this. We'll get you back, you know, right. Walking and running again. And, you know, it doesn't happen. And also the family would have support from the community and the neighbors. They would know your child yeah. was in a car accident. Yeah, they yeah, would yeah. be bringing you food. Yeah. They would be providing child care for your other children. Right, right, right. It's very isolating. You go in the gas station and there's the, hey, Bob got in a car accident and has medical bills, you know, throw your change in the bucket, right? You don't see that. Hey, my daughter has bipolar, throw your change in the thing because she needs services, right? It's, yeah, it's it's a car accident. It's an ATV accident, whatever. It's it's always about that. And that that's like a whole nother topic we should come back together and do really around the stigma around uh, having a diagnosis or any sort of psychiatric hospitalization, because you guys touched on it, you all touched on it in your own way, your own, your own self-stigma that came with it as a parent. There's a piece you put on yourself, but then you all touched, touched on the system and whether it's CPS or law enforcement or the school or so, uh, if you guys would be okay with that, we should do a follow-up to this one. And I think that that would be a great another topic because we are just about out of time on this one. And I'm sure you guys could talk a long time about this subject, but I think that would be a great one. What, what do you think? I agree, Jim. Definitely. Yeah, because, you know, Leah mentioned 504s, and I'm going to guess that most yeah. people listening to this have yeah. no idea what a 504 is. <laughs> I wrote that down. I wrote it down to ask, but we just never came back to it. Yeah. We just never we just never came back to that one, but maybe we could talk about that with stigma, and then, you know, that's, you know, we're getting into resources and people's rights, and um, I think this is a great topic, and, you know, at Montana's Peer Network, we're we are created a family division and we are, you know, we want to see our vision is to see family peer supporters across the state of Montana. And so we're committed to bringing you conversations like this one. And we want to start the dialogue. We want to bring people to the table. We want to give them a platform to come and talk about these things. We want to, we need to raise the awareness that there's a big missing piece in the system. And some of these things are universal. They're not any different than what happens at, in, in, to an adult in the adult system. You know, we get a diagnosis and hospitalization and we get shoved out the door. 
And then, okay, you're supposed to be all right. You know, why? Because we shoved you out the door because we don't have any more money to pay for you because someone said, this is the cap. And whatever that number is, it's different in different situations, but somebody said your wellness is, is less important than the bottom line. And the funding that's really truly needed to care for somebody. And, and I'll go back to your example, Andy, with the car accident. If you were in a car accident, they don't get halfway through your surgery and say, hey, uh, we're out of money and we're sending you home. We know you still have some broken bones, but we're going to send you on home and you're going to have to figure it out on your own the rest of the way. It would be the equivalent if they did that because those broken bones don't heal correctly, which is what happens to many people with behavioral health diagnoses. You know, that initial diagnosis and how we treat them and the, the, the resources we give them, but also the, the idea of hope that you can get better. We're going to be here to support you. We're here for you. Instead, we go halfway through and we say, well, you'll have to figure it out on your own. And we wonder why people. Here's a brochure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You we, right. And we wonder why people come back into the system over and over and over. It's like, well, you didn't heal the person the right way the first time, so now it's playing out in all these different ways. So that's my little soapbox with the system. I mean, I've felt that way myself, and I see it as an advocate all the time. It's always about money. You know, I mean, I know one treatment facility. They tell people you've maxed your benefits. That's what mm -hmm. they tell them. Mm -hmm. And they kick them out of the program and they send them mm -hmm. home. It really has more to do with the money than what the person actually needs in terms of getting better. So, And for kids, that's getting worse right now. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. Um, I'm, I'm sure that it is. So here in Montana, we don't have many housing areas for kids right. within the human traffic world within the criminal justice world yeah. as well. But that's a whole other Yeah, story. yeah, there's another good topic. I'd like to just jump on what Jim said about family peer support and you know, my hope in doing this work is to develop and support family peer supporters in Montana so that families affected by behavioral health challenges can develop the support systems, the tools and the resiliency to lead healthy lives and healthy families. Excellent. Well, that's a great way to wrap things up. I think Leah, that was well said there by Beth. And uh, thank you to Andy and Beth uh, and Leah too. You say thank you there for her sharing her own, some of her own family struggles. Great topic. We'll definitely be doing more podcasts on this subject. And to our listeners, please check out Recovery Talks podcasts each week from Montana's Peer Network. Thank you so much. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works, recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.